0: Welcome to the Weekly Investor Insights Call. Throughout the call, all participants will be in listen-only mode. Just to remind you, this conference call is being recorded. I'll now hand the floor to our hosts, Charles Perdue and Alex Tether. Gentlemen, please go ahead.
1: Thank you very much, Operator, and hello, everyone. Uh, Happy New Year, and welcome to our first uh, Weekly Insights Call for 2019. I'm very grateful to all of you for listening, uh, be it by podcast or be it live. It's important, I think, to begin by having a very quick look back, simply because um, the sort of traumatic end that markets had to 2018 has to be very relevant to how we think forward uh, for this year and the messages that we take to clients. So to put it in perspective, um, the 12-month return on the MSCI World Equity Index was just a negative 8.7% in dollar terms. And actually, in the Q4, um, it was minus 13.4%. The big feature, as you'll all know, of course, was that the sugar rush uh, for U.S. growth, um, the fear began that that was starting to run out. And so the notable feature of Q4 was weakness uh, in the U.S. market. And for those of you who are paying attention to markets on Christmas Eve and Boxing Day and that sort of time, the volatility in the market uh, was extraordinary. Uh, yes, exacerbated by thin seasonal trading, but caused by concern about um, US government shutdown, uh, trade friction, uh, and the momentum for US growth, and whether or not uh, the Fed was going to quote unquote over tighten. Um, just going on to uh, put market returns in perspective, uh, emerging markets. Um, the 12 months in dollar terms again was down uh, minus 14.6 percent so a brutal uh, return for emerging markets and of course it wasn't just confined to equities Uh, we had weak returns for example in investment grade and high yield that saw negative returns of three and a half percent and 3.3 percent in dollar terms respectively so much so that actually um, the statisticians Uh, on the economics and markets team have highlighted um, that this was the third year only since 1900 when cash has outperformed both equities uh, and bonds. The other two occasions were in 1931, uh, on the cusp of the the Great Depression, um, and in 1969, uh, at the cusp of the outbreak of the Vietnam War. And so That's pretty relevant in terms of comparisons, in terms of uh, the the extremity of the market outcome. And it's no surprise, therefore, that uh, many clients' sentiments, and we clearly have have seen this, uh, is very negative uh, and very circumspect. So with that in mind, um, I really want to draw your attention to documents that have been circulated in the last couple of days on the internal email. Um, First of all, The Economic and Strategy Viewpoint uh, for January 2019, which puts both last year into perspective and sets out the outlook. And and also um, snapshots that have come out um, uh, covering uh, the outlook under the Talking Points banner, uh, the quarterly markets review uh, for this year, which uh, which contain many of the valuation metrics uh, that I've been alluding to as a result of the market declines because, and I think this is the key thing uh, to be talking to clients, um, valuations um, really are improving in quite a noticeable fashion. So to call out some statistics, on a forward-looking basis, uh, the UK market um, is now on a PE of 11 times and a dividend yield of 5%. Um, the US market, um, having been almost at 20 times forward-looking earnings, uh, is now at 14, um, uh, 14 forward-looking P.E., with earnings growing by about between 7 and 8%, uh, and a dividend yield of uh, 22 So for those who have been very concerned about the level of uh, extremity in valuations, and something which was on people's minds at the start of, uh, of, of 2018, clearly the silver lining to negative um, growth uh, in market returns uh, is that valuations have significantly uh, improved. So please look out for those materials in your inboxes um, to provide further context. But it's an ideal time, therefore, Alex, to be talking to you, um, because <clears throat> clearly valuations are one thing, but they are dependent on earnings growth. Mm-hmm. Um, earnings growth clearly um, uh, subject to uh, all sorts of pressures, be it liquidity, be it political intervention, uh, trade policies, and the like. So. Can I start, therefore, by asking as, as you um, uh, sit today and look out uh, for 2019, um, what's your perspective on earnings growth from here? Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, th- uh, thank, you, thank you, Charles. And um, it certainly has been a, a, a bruising few weeks and months for equity investors globally. And just to put it into context, to add to what, what, uh, what Charles has said, um October and December, in terms of drawdown, were in the top 10 monthly drawdowns in the last decade. The majority of those monthly uh, drawdowns were obviously in 2008.
1: uh, So so we're at quite extreme levels. Yeah, we are. We are.
0: And I think your point, your idea about a sugar rush is, is very, very valid. It's a great way to describe it, which is that for the first three quarters of the year, basically the U.S. market in particular was... In a sugar rush. Um, things were very supportive, be it taxation, be it um, company earnings, be it the economy as a whole. And uh, the market reflected that. And then what we saw in the third quarter was, alongside very, very good numbers, uh, we also saw some large companies, bellwether companies, the Microsofts, the Caterpillars, the Boeings, warning that revenue growth was slowing. Uh, and that's really what set this whole chain of adjustment, if we can put it that way, in motion, was the realisation that things don't go on forever, and clearly they don't. Uh, We all knew in a way that this bull market was going to come to an end. We just didn't know how. And if you've listened to me speaking uh, over the course of the last year, you'll know that I've been talking about valuations quite a lot, concerned about valuations, to your point, Charles, and feeling that the market was perhaps being a bit too sanguine about the potential for a slowdown. And it's very clear that that's now panning out.
1: So given that a lot of that stuff will come to fruition, and yes. I also remember the last time we spoke on one of these calls, you yes. were very accurate in terms of the potential resilience um, pricing-wise in all senses of the consumer staples. Yes. Um, where are we now, therefore, from your point of view? I've put out an 8% earnings growth number from yes. the U.S., which I think is the sort of IBIS number at the moment. It is. What's, your, what, you know, what's your sense in terms of that? that the ability for that to be delivered.
0: So the base case from our side, Charles, is, is a soft landing. It's a soft landing for the economy, and it's a soft landing for earnings. Uh, I think that 7% number is now quite realistic for the U.S.
1: The momentum in the
0: economy is actually still very good, and I don't see that going away. and know it's time. a
1: backward-looking number, but of course we had very strong employment data last Friday. We do, very much so. Um, manufacturing data has also been good.
0: And so my feeling is that, at least for the first half of the year, we continue to see Pretty strong um, economic numbers, economy numbers, and we see companies delivering pretty good earnings growth on the back of decent revenue and some additional cost leverage uh, in some cases. The caveat for the full year, possibly for the first half too, is that we are starting to see cost pressures build. Uh, that's a global phenomenon. It's not just in the U.S., but in the U.S. in particular, what you're seeing is a very tight labor market, as you say. Mm -hmm. Wage growth is starting to accelerate. It's getting harder to hire. Companies are being forced to pay more. And input cost inflation more broadly is definitely rising. And we're going to start seeing that um, being translated into, I think, some margin pressure uh, during the course of the year that could be quite sustained, given how high margins
1: currently are. So, And, of course, that puts the focus again on the Fed. Um, and one of the features of last week was more reassuring comments um, from uh, Jay Powell um, saying that um, he thought that markets worrying at least about a downturn were well ahead of the data and that, in that sense, he would be more patient. Yeah. Um, and for those of you, again, who haven't seen, um, Keith Wade's just updated today uh, his rate forecast, uh, where he thinks the peak of the Fed rate cycle Um, will be 2.75, a bit of a pause uh, in March and then going again in in June. Mm. So um, I think the market obviously took that very well, this idea that the Fed just wasn't Edo fixed and was, of course, going to stay sensitive to the data. Well, of course, I think you might have guessed that. But anyway, uh, reassurance. But what you're saying is um, a, a lot of focus on companies that are able to, as best they can, protect margins at the stage of the cycle, the late stage of the cycle, with those input cost pressures rising from labour costs, for example.
0: I think that's very true. Um, the earnings are always important. Share prices do follow earnings. And, you know, earnings estimates have come down quite materially in the US until until um, basically the beginning of December, the street was still going for 12% earnings growth in the US, we're now at 7, 7
1: to 8. Now, of course, the, the headlines were grabbed um, pretty much the first day back at work yeah. by
0: Apple, yes, yeah.
1: um, which warned um, very significantly um, on revenue, a revenue miss. Yeah. Um, to what extent do you think that was Apple-specific, or was it kind of zeitgeist-specific, or was it indeed trade war-specific? Yeah. I've, seen, I've seen answers. Uh, addressing all three of those.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I've been doing a lot of thinking about that one for obvious reasons. Uh, we we do have some exposure to Apple in our funds, but we're actually underweighted at, um, across the board quite materially,
1: and we're underweighted
0: precisely because we do see unit risk, volume risk for Apple. Uh, I- iPhone sales. Exactly. iPhone sales, specifically for handsets. Now, here's the here's a couple of interesting statistics uh, for, for for our listeners. Um, Apple's revenues, and forget this is it. remember this is a pre announcement that um that they've made. We get the um uh, the, the the full quarter numbers and this is a fiscal first quarter, kind of fourth quarter, so fiscal first quarter. Uh we get the full numbers in a few weeks. But what, what they've basically said is that revenues are, are going to disappoint. The primary reason for that is China and uh they believe that it's the Chinese consumer that is to blame. I think that's partly true, but not wholly true. And um, if you look at the data, it's quite stark. Uh, China revenues for Apple fell 29% year over year in the quarter. rest of the world was flat, so zero. So clearly, this is a Chinese problem. What I think uh, is happening there is... is, is it's it's zero for
1: the rest of the world. Zero for the rest of the world, yeah. It's still... You know, it's
0: actually not bad, considering, in my view. Uh, you can look at it in different ways. That's in value terms. Um, you know, momentum has definitely come out of Apple. It's not the growth company that it was, but it is a company that's sort of sustaining its revenue base outside of China. In China itself, I think what you're seeing is a, a confluence of factors, which are pretty important. One is the fact that no question, in, in our minds at least, that Chinese consumers are slightly wary buying Apple products at this point. So I think there is a something of a consumer backlash going on. And that could be partly driven by politics. Um, difficult to say. And we're doing some surveys around that at the moment. But almost certainly it's being driven by price um, because Apple, as we know, has been very aggressive on raising prices. That's been a key part of their strategy. You could say that sort of worked outside uh, China. But in China, which is a very... Price-sensitive market in many ways. At least for uh, for the the uh, electronic space, there are some very good products that are priced at fifty percent or less of Apple products. So, really,
1: what you're saying is that China, if you like, is just a high beta outcome on Apple's strategy. Yeah,
0: exactly. That's the key question: is is this China-specific, or is what we've seen in China in terms of price elasticity going kind to of play out in other markets? And that's something we're currently debating because that is the key question. If it's just a China issue. Compounded by politics and consumer sentiment, generally, but then Apple is a very cheap share, trading on eleven times earnings, and that includes a very significant cash balance. The stock is very, very cheap. Uh, it's a value stock.
1: But what about if, what about their other income? I mean, is, is it still yeah. all about the product cycle, or can they offset that by trying to get like IBM-like game more services?
0: Yeah, so great question. That, of course, is the other the other component, which is service revenue in the course of it was up 27% year on year. That's a very, very strong number. And that component is becoming increasingly important to Apple's overall revenue base, and it's a key part of their strategy. You know, our view is that set to expand a whole lot further. And we think that 20 plus percent revenue growth rate for services can be sustained over the next two or three years. Now, if you build that in, you build in a flat overall revenue trend for handsets on a value basis, And you build in the share buybacks, which will be very material, probably 15% or 20% of market cap over the next uh, two or three years. Well, yield itself is a bit of a misnomer because it's all in the share buybacks. It's in the share buybacks. But if you think share buybacks is probably a fifth of the capital base, you're looking at a stock that potentially, if things are not going wrong, would double over three years. That's not our base case, but you can see the the potential attractions of this.
1: And how typical um, is Apple now of technology more broadly, in your stance towards technology?
0: Great, really interesting question. Because tech, you know, has been a one of the major casualties of the of the drawdown, uh, as we know. I mean, for, for for a number of reasons, not least the fact that it did so well until the end of the third quarter, right. um, and uh, and and so had you know was the hardest to to, to be hit in many respects. Uh, you know, if you just look at multiples today, apart from Apple's own multiple of something like 11 times. Um, Amazon has gone from uh, multiple start of 2018 of what, for what it's worth, 300 times earnings to around 70 on a forward basis. Facebook from 35 to around 17. Netflix from 200 times earnings to around 100 times earnings. And Google, Alphabet, from 60 time, times earnings to around 25 times earnings. So it's hard to argue that the group as a whole is necessarily cheap. There are cheap stocks within it. But things have derated very, very materially. I can
1: certainly see, given those numbers, why has yeah, the value playing. Absolutely. Uh,
0: and so you can look at these things two ways. You could say, okay, well, we've had, a, in some respects, a logical correction from um, uh, um, you know, unreasonable highs at the end of the third quarter. Um, and actually, if it's business as usual, these stocks could actually do quite well just on the strength of earnings growth. Or you can say, well, actually... The stocks are not particularly cheap as a group, and uh, in some cases subject to potential further um, a disappointment. I would certainly say Facebook is in that category. So I think we've just got to be selective
1: when it comes to tech. We always have to be selective as equity investors. And but from an aggregate sector positioning standpoint, well, somewhat, somewhat more positive, Charles, because
0: right. uh, what I've, I've highlighted the FANGs in particular, yeah, very diverse group, very diverse group of multiples, but within tech, it's a very very broad. Space as we know. And within tech, there's a very large number of very unloved companies today. For example, Oracle is a company that we just bought back into after years of having uh, correctly sat on the sidelines. Oracle is a company trading on 10 times earnings with a very powerful installed base, a transition to cloud, and actually management seemed finally to be understanding that investors are not totally happy with governance. There's a bunch of things going on there that could be quite compelling on a two or three year view. And as I said, the stock is very cheap. So tech, it's a broad space. It's an interesting space, but one has to be selective.
1: So, but I think what I'm hearing you say is at this stage of the cycle, mm. um, the emphasis on, on, on valuation mm. as opposed to just outright confidence in growth, yeah. it's more the, the former rather than the latter. Yeah,
0: you've got to be more confident about the growth outlook to
1: pay up right. than you have been. And so growth is, at a reasonable price. Exactly right. Quality,
0: growth at a reasonable price. Um, and, and, uh, and some
1: certainty around that. And then um, moving on, uh, I highlighted at the start of the conversation just how beaten up emerging markets have yeah. got. And you know, the, the way the story goes is that Fed's, Fed rates, um, as I said before, no longer peaking quite as much as people suspected, therefore not quite so much upward pressure on the U.S. dollar, mm. uh, therefore some uh, more oxygen for emerging markets and some presumably increasingly easy kind of year-on-year comparisons. So yeah. what, what's, your, um, what's your stance toward EM?
0: Well, it's that latter point, Charles, I think is
1: really, really relevant at this point. Increasingly
0: easy comps, increasingly easy year-on-year comparison for emerging markets. Because it won't take much growth, and indeed stabilization, excuse me, to generate quite material earnings growth, simply because we're coming off such a low base. So even a small amount of incremental economic growth, translating into revenue growth, will generate quite material positive upside in some emerging market, uh, in some emerging markets. And that's what I think is interesting at this point, is that the market is overly cautious, no question, about emerging as an asset class, and certainly within that, um, about some specific countries and sectors. I mean, just to, just to talk a bit, bit more about earnings growth as a whole, you mentioned the 7 8% for the US come down a lot. Interestingly, all the major regions, including emerging markets, are now on roughly the same expected earnings growth, about 7 or 8%, all of them. And my view is that the one area where you could get positive surprise from a regional standpoint today, or two areas, sorry, two areas where you could get positive earnings surprise are emerging markets and Japan. Right, right.
1: And and Japan in, in industrials?
0: Yes, because again, interestingly in Japan, uh, which is, as we know, a very very much an export-driven
1: economy, or at least
0: an export-driven stock market.
1: I've always regarded it as being the world's largest cyclical stock. Indeed, yeah. Yeah, very very much so. Yeah. Uh,
0: and uh, Japan has been very hard hit as a market by fears over China, and right. fears over emerging generally, and, and weakness in, in demand outside of uh, core markets. And um, take the automation stocks as a great example of that. They're all beat, massively beaten down, in some cases down 40 or 50% from where they were a year ago. That must be a tremendous opportunity, even if the data is only incrementally better in markets like China. It won't take a lot to generate
1: a lot of earnings growth. That's what we're interested in. So without wishing to put words in your mouth, Alex, you're sounding just in conclusion, Mm. reasonably constructive.
0: I am, actually, Um, which may
1: surprise... It's a sunny day here
0: uh, in London. It is a sunny day. Uh, It's a sunny day. It's the beginning of the year. Perhaps I'm too optimistic. But uh, you'll remember a year ago... Nine months ago, six months ago,
1: I was no, worried right. about valuations. Yes. Now I'm not. Right. Uh, so we've got a good start. And now it's more exactly actually what happens and how the cycle unfolds. Exactly. As opposed to the valuation thing being
0: a thing in isolation. Exactly,
1: Charles. Okay. I mean, there
0: will be disappointments, no question. Particularly in the US, I think. Right. Uh, we haven't talked about leverage, but I think leverage is going to be an issue. But broadly for equities, I think it's scope for some, some quite good trends.
1: Great. Well, we're out of time. Um, and so let me just wrap up very quickly. Uh, First of all, um, please pay attention to the pieces that are being put out on valuations, as you've heard Alex been talking about. That is something which has changed a lot year on year. Um, And there's a snapshot coming out on the so-called US CAPE, or cyclically adjusted PE ratio, which looks at long-run averages. And that also um, is starting to look much more interesting than it has done for several years. So I think that is an interesting note to strike with clients. And then specifically around equities, um, uh, Alex is highlighting the opportunities um, that exist within technology, um, with growth at a reasonable price being the mantra there, um, but tempted by uh, the correction that we've now uh, seen in Apple, but still being uh, evaluated. And and then finally, in terms of emerging markets uh, and Japan, again, the potential, given the way valuations have corrected. Uh, for some very good operational leverage uh, if activity slightly surprises on the upside. So put another way, the trauma of the Q4 um, has put a lot of fear into prices, whether you're talking about trade, whether you're talking about the economic cycle, whether you're talking about Fed policy. uh, And there is scope um, from this point for at this stage of the cycle, yes, late stage, but for the outcome to be slightly sunnier uh, than perhaps um, the overcast. Market conditions of the late part of last year would have indicated. With that, Alex, thank you very much indeed. Really appreciate it. Great insight. Uh, thank you again, everybody, uh, for listening, and please stay tuned for further calls as we go through this year. Operator, that concludes today. Thank you.
0: Thank you. This now concludes the conference. Thank you all very much for attending. You may now disconnect.